This is session 45 of our series, our study of the book of Philippians, and this series is titled, A Better Brand of Happiness. And I chose that series title because uh, to highlight the concept of joy, which is a key theme in the book of Philippians. Over the past several sessions, we've been working our way through the full paragraph here that I read just a moment ago in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. And just as a reminder, I have uh, established not only this paragraph as being a discrete unit in the book of Philippians, but I've also given you what I consider to be my one-sentence summary of this paragraph, what I call the big idea. And my big idea statement for this paragraph is, when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. And we've been working our way through this paragraph and talking about the implications of the gift the Philippians gave to Paul and sent to Paul, and how it, um, what, it, what it did for him and what it meant to him. And so that's what we've been working on, and I've tried to bring that into a capsule in this sentence that we call the big idea. Now, we spent many sessions working through the verses of this paragraph. And we've seen in this paragraph that, that the Philippians sent money to help Paul when he was in prison. And we saw in verse 10 that the money that they sent to Paul brought him great joy. Remember, he wrote in verse 10, and you can look at it in your scriptures, Paul wrote, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And in these words, Paul is describing how much joy the gift of the Philippians brought to him. That it was an, and, and Paul uses this phrase that you renewed your concern for me because the Philippians had given him money before, as we're going to talk about in just a moment. So that's, what, that's why he uses the word renewed. But the gift that the Philippians sent him was an expression of their love for him, of their concern for him. That's why I say in my big idea, it meant more to him what the, what the, um, the gift meant, that is, that it came from the heart, that they cared about his ministry and that they cared about him as a person. And so we spent um, quite a bit of time working our way through verse 10, and then in verses 11 through 13, Paul explained that his joy for their gift really was joy in the Lord because God had enabled him, God had taught him as a follower of Christ and strengthened him to learn how to rejoice no matter what his circumstances were. Now in verses 14 through 16, Paul has been explaining why their gift gave him so much joy. And it wasn't because he loved money or the material things that money could give him or provide for him. Because Paul had already learned the secret of contentment, as he told us in verses 12 and 13. Instead, Paul was grateful for their gift because it revealed something about their moral goodness as people. Remember in verse 11, Paul says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And using that word good is applying a label, not to what they did, but to who they were. It was an expression of their moral goodness, of their growth in Jesus Christ, that they gathered this money and went through the effort, the considerable effort that it took, to send the money to Paul. And so that phrase in verse 11, it was good of you, labels the Philippians morally. To them, and to, or I should say to Paul, their gifts showed that they were putting their money where their heart was. And their hearts were with Paul in the spread of the gospel message. Remember that 
In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Paul views their gift as an expression that their heart is really with his ministry. Their heart is really in the kingdom of God. And so the fact that the Philippians sent money to Paul when he was in need showed that their hearts were in God's work. Now, in the last session, we looked at Philippians 4.15, where Paul says that the Philippians sent him money. Notice again, verse 15. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel. That phrase, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, showed us that the Philippians didn't wait until they became strong, mature Christians to start giving to God's work. Instead, it's something they did early on, early in their faith in Jesus Christ. When they were mere baby Christians, they started investing in Paul's work. And I encourage you to emulate their example and to start giving to God's work immediately. Whether you have small financial resources or great financial resources. Whether you've been saved for a long time or for hardly any time at all. Now is the right time to start giving if you're not. And now is the right time to be faithful in giving if you have been doing that as a pattern in your life. Today we continue looking at Philippians 4.15 and also in verse 16. And let me reread these uh, verses again. In these verses, Paul reminds the Philippians of their history with him. Look with me again at verse 15. Paul says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, there's the introduction of this as the history lesson, but verse 15 goes on and says, When I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now we can read these words and we can easily understand the general meaning of them. Paul says, you started sending me money early and you did it after I left your area and you kept doing it. You did it more than once, he says. Very easy to understand. But in the midst of these verses, we have introduction to various places in the New Testament. As we look at these verses, Paul hints at, well, he he sort of indirectly refers to one place, and then he specifically refers to two other places. And one of the things that's helpful when we study the Bible is to understand and to actually look at a map and see where the places that are referred to in the Scriptures lie on the map. They they actually reveal um, some more about the meaning of the text to us than might not be evident to us if we don't take time to look at things geographically. And so we need to look at these verses, or as we look at these verses, we need to look at a map to understand the places that Paul refers to here. And so the first thing I want to give you today, then, is a closer look at the geography of Philippians 4, 15, and 16. So right now I want us to look at a map together and I want to show you these places that Paul refers to in these verses of Scripture. Here is a map of the area that uh, Paul started from and where he traveled as a missionary uh, serving the Lord and and doing his work spreading the gospel by starting local churches. And just to kind of orient you on this map, the Mediterranean Sea, you can see right there, that puts us in uh, Europe, which is up here. That's Europe. And the Middle East is over here, and Africa is down here. Okay, and so these are, this is the 
the general area where Paul traveled during his missionary travels. And just to uh, further orient you, um, of course, most of the Bible's action happens down here in the area that we call Israel. That's where Paul uh, spent much of his, his time, and that's where the, the apostles, of course, met Jesus and where Jesus did his earthly ministry. That's where the, the uh, church emanated from, and emanated from the area that, uh, we, that is known as Israel. But as we look at the places here that, that are referred to in the book of Philippians, Paul uh, really specifically talks about three different places. One he talks about sort of indirectly, and the other two he mentions specifically. The first of these places is indicated by the words, you Philippians. Back in uh, verse 15, Paul says, you Philippians know. And the word Philippians, grammatically speaking, is what's called a vocative of direct address. Okay, If you say somebody's name, if you say to me, Brian, I want you to do this. Using my name is a vocative of direct address. It's directly using my name to speak to me personally. Paul uses the word Philippians to group the believers in Philippi together and to speak to them directly by name. But in so doing, Paul specifies that they are in a particular location, namely the city of Philippi. And so the first place we need to understand, to understand this passage geographically, is where was Paul, or where, I'm, sure, I'm sorry, who was Paul speaking to? Where were these Philippians located? Now, I said that Israel's over here. Paul is, is referring to the Philippians way over here. This is the area known as modern-day Greece. That's where Philippi was. And so um, this map that, that I'm showing you indicates the various missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. The church at Philippi was started on Paul's second missionary journey. And this was really the first place where he established a church after receiving um, the call in Acts chapter 16, where Paul saw a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. The Bible says Paul journeyed from where he was here in Troas over here to this area, and the first place he established a church was here in the area of Philippi. Now I'm going to zoom in in the next map and try to give you a little bit better uh, look at where we, are, look, where we are going geographically here. So I'm going to go, go then to another map. And again, this is uh, zoomed in and, and moved uh, west a little bit. Philippi is right here. And again, this is the area you recognize this as Greece, modern-day Greece. But Paul is writing here to the Philippians. That brings us to the second place that's mentioned in this passage of Scripture, which is Macedonia. In verse 15, Paul says, You Philippians know when I sent out, set out from Macedonia. Now, Macedonia is a region. Philippi is a city. Macedonia is a region. Just like Michigan is a region, a state, but Ann Arbor is a city. And so Philippi is actually in Macedonia. When Paul says, when I set out from Macedonia, he is talking about his travels from this area down to this area here, which is known as Achaia. And this establishes the time that the Philippians started contributing to Paul's work. It's when he set out from Macedonia. And that brings us then to the third place that's mentioned in this passage of Scripture, which is Thessalonica. 
when Paul left um, the, the area we call Philippi, the city where uh, these believers lived, he continued traveling along a road called the Via Ignatia or the Ignatius Way. It's a, it was a road that was built by the Romans for travel. And it connected a bunch of different places together. And Paul traveled to these places. The next place he established a church was in this, this area known as Thessalonica. Now this area between Philippi and Thessalonica is about 95 miles. 95 miles between, along the Ignatius Way, between Philippi and Thessalonica. And so when Paul says in this passage, in the next verse, verse 16, when he says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again. What is he saying? He is saying more than one time. You traveled this 95-mile journey on foot to contribute money to my work. And, and again, verse 16 says that they did this more than once. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is that the Philippians have a pattern of giving. This, this gift that they sent him while he was in prison in Rome was not a new thing for them. They had already developed a pattern of sending money to his work, and it was a pattern that was not easy to do. It's not easy to walk 95 miles to do something, and yet the believers in Philippi did this more than once in order to financially support Paul's work. Now, I've told you in previous sessions that the language Paul uses here in these verses is the language of finance, that Paul, in a metaphorical way, describes the money the Philippians sent not as a gift, really, but as a financial contribution or as a financial tra transaction that made them business partners, in a sense, in the gospel message. In verse 16, Paul wrote that their financial contributions to his ministry were made more than once. But that was when the Philippians, that's what the Philippians did in the past. That's what verses 15 and 16 are. They were a, re a rehearsal and a review of the past giving of the Philippians. This stuff happened years ago. Now the Philippians have sent Paul money while he was in prison in Rome. And as hard as it was for them to travel the 95 miles between Philippi and Thessalonica, imagine how much harder it was to travel from Philippi to Rome. There's no super easy way to get there. Either you travel for a long way across land, or more likely, you get on a boat, and this is also a treacherous trip. You might not even go all the way around. You might stop here, as Paul did on his boat trip from uh, in prison, and travel then across the land. But either way, no matter whether they travel by land or by sea, this was a long and dangerous and difficult trip that was necessary for the Philippians to send Paul money while he was in prison in Rome from their hometown of Philippi. Now, do you see why Paul was so overjoyed to receive the gift that the Philippians sent him? Not only was it a difficult financial investment for them, they had financial needs elsewhere. They could have used this money in their own lives in many different ways. But not only did they sacrifice financially to support Paul's needs, 
but one of the members of their church undertook the very difficult journey that it that was required to take the money from Paul or from Philippi and make sure that Paul received it in Rome. This is why it meant more to Paul that they gave to his work than just that he finally had some money in his pocket to spend on his needs. It was because of the difficulty and the sacrifices involved in their giving that their gift meant so much to the Apostle Paul. He knew that these were not wealthy people, and he knew that it was not easy to travel over land and sea to make sure that he got this money. And yet the Philippians cared so much for Paul and his ministry that they were willing to do these difficult things in order to buy into the gospel message, in order to financially partner with him in the spread of the gospel message. So that's a closer look at the geography that's involved in Philippians 4, 15, and 16. But what's the message that we take from this? What do we learn by looking at the geography and looking at this little history lesson that Paul gives us in verses 15 and 16? I'd suggest to you that there is a lesson for us in this. And that lesson is this, that the Philippians invested in God's work through Paul repeatedly. The Philippians invested in God's work through Paul, repeatedly. Now remember in verse 16, Paul says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul wrote there that that the Philippians gave to his work on at least two, if not more, occasions, even though it meant that 95-mile trek across the Ignatius Way to get him the the money. What exactly did this accomplish for Paul? Why was this money so important to Paul that he remembers it years later and wants to take time to bring it up in this letter? The answer is that it allowed Paul to stop working a secular job and give his full concentration to the gospel ministry. Now remember that Paul specifies that he received this aid in the past while he was in Thessalonica. Well, you know from your knowledge of the New Testament that Paul wrote two letters to the church in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonian believers. And if we compare Paul's statement about the past giving of the Philippians to these two letters to the Thessalonians, we can see that before that Paul received the aid that the Philippians sent, he had to work. Let me just show you two references in the book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians that indicate this. In 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 9, Paul wrote this, "Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you." When Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he did not go and try to find somebody to give him a place to stay for free, nor did he ask for a handout for his daily needs or those of the associates who traveled with him. Instead, Paul went to work, most likely making tents, which was the profession that that we know from other passages of Scripture he had. And so Paul says, instead of being a burden to you financially and bringing 
our motives into uh, making you suspicious of our motives. Paul said, we didn't ask you for a thing. Instead, we went to work doing secular work night and day and then preached the gospel to you in our spare time. And also in 2 Thessalonians, Paul brings this up again. In 2 Thessalonians 3.8, Paul says this, Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Okay, Paul didn't even want their hospitality for a meal. Instead, he says, on the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Before the Philippians sent Paul money again and again to provide for his needs, he and his associates worked in secular work night and day and then tried to fit ministry in around that. They preached the gospel to maybe the people that they were working to or selling to. But really, in terms of their direct preaching and teaching of the scriptures and of the gospel, it was whenever they could find time to do it. Whenever they weren't busy trying to make money to provide for their needs. But when the Philippians sent money to Paul, when they made that 95-mile journey again and again, to supply money to the Apostle Paul and his associates. That enabled them to stop doing the secular work and instead spend all of their time preaching and teaching the gospel message. They were able to do God's work with full focus because their needs were met and they didn't have to work. Now here's a principle about giving that I think every believer needs to understand. And let me set this in a little bit of a context for you. Um, for in a way that maybe you're not aware of because you don't work in this world. There are people out there, consultants and corporations, who specialize in helping nonprofits, ministries, and others raise money. That's their job. If you have a financial need, you can hire one of these consultants or one of these corporations to come in and they will do the hard work of setting up a program to try to get people to give toward your nonprofit or even your church ministry. Now, these experts will tell you that people are more likely to give to a project than they are to a person. They'll tell you if you want to raise money, you should establish a project and ask people to give to the project because it's a lot easier to, give, to get people to give money to a project than it is to get them to give money to a person. And so let's, let me give you an example. Let's say that I need a new computer, which I do not. But let's say that I did need one. And let's say that the computer I want costs $2,500. And let's say that I ask you as a church to make a one-time donation toward this project. Give $100 or whatever you can to this, this one-time um, project to buy me a new computer. Well, that means I need 25 people on average, giving on average $100 one time to get me the $2,500 I need to buy a new computer. Pretty simple. But let's say at the same time, at the same time I'm trying to raise money, $2,500 one time to buy a new computer. Let's say at the same time that um, my uh, personal finances have changed in such a way that I also need to increase my monthly support 
to $2,500. In other words, let's say that in order to make a living and provide for my family, I not only need a $2,500 computer, but I need people to support me personally. And I need that to be $2,500 every month on a regular basis. And so on one hand, I need 25 people to give $100 one time to buy me a computer, but I also need 2,500, I also need 25 people to give $100 every month to help increase my financial support. Now, fundraising specialists will say raising the money for the computer is going to be a whole lot easier than raising the money for personal support. Why? Because people can see physically what they've been giving to. If people give to a building and the building is built, they can see, see, my money went to a good cause. I can see it. It's, it's, it's got some tangibility to it. Whereas if you just give to me and I use the money for my personal expenses and my family's needs, you don't really see that. Also, a one-time gift is a lot less of a commitment, obviously, than giving on a regular basis. And so these fundraising specialists will tell you that it's easier to raise money one time than it is to do on an ongoing way. This is why ministries and nonprofits are constantly asking people to give to a new building or to a film or to some kind of a project. The reason why they keep coming up with projects to give to is that it's a lot easier to get people to give one time or you know, one time per project to a project rather than giving to a personal. But here's the thing. Ministry is personal. Projects are important, and they need to be done, and I'm not opposed to giving to projects. But projects really don't make ministry go forward. People, persons, make ministry go forward. It takes a person who is dedicated to God's work to reach people for Christ and disciple them in the Word. The fanciest laptop ever made can't disciple another person. It takes a person to disciple a person. And that means God's servants need ongoing support. They need repeated, consistent income, just as you need repeated, consistent income, which is why you work a secular job. And so this is the... Um, dilemma or the choice that God's servants have to make. Do I work in the secular world and fit ministry in in my free time, which is a per perfectly valid way to do ministry? Paul did that when it was necessary. Or do I ask God's people to give to my work on a repeated basis so that I can forego working in the secular marketplace and give my full attention to preaching the gospel ministry? Both of these are valid New Testament ways to serve the Lord. But I think it's obvious that someone who has their personal finance needs met and who doesn't have to worry about where their money for the expenses is going to come from, who can give their attention fully to preaching the gospel message, is going to be, over time, a more effective minister of the gospel. Ministry is personal, and people who serve in ministry need ongoing support. They need repeated, consistent income. The Philippians understood this. And so without being told or without being asked, there was no consultant that was sent to Philippi. There were no pledge cards handed out to the Philippians. And while people sang, just as I am, they were told to fill out their monthly 
pledged to the Apostle Paul. There was none of that. The Philippians just understood that Paul would need money to live. And so, out of their own accord, because of the grace of God working in their hearts and their lives, they started making repeated financial donations to the Apostle Paul so that he would have the money he needed to live and to minister. They gave to him personally, not to a project, not to a one-time work. And this is what is needed even today. The specifics are different, but the principles are the same. It's easier to raise money for a project, but ministry happens personally. And that means missionaries, church planters, people who cross cultures and go into foreign lands to preach the gospel message, they need financial support. We need financial support. In order to be available to give our lives and our time full-time, to ministry. The Philippians got this, and that's why they invested in God's work through Paul repeatedly. For us, the big idea for this section of Scripture, for this message, is very similar. And that is this. You and I should invest your money and my money in God's work repeatedly. We should follow the example that was presented by the Philippians in the way that we give and support to God's work. It is so much easier nowadays to give regularly to God's work than it was for the Philippians. Think about it. They had to collect the money and then traverse 95 miles or more, a lot more if they were going to Rome, to get Paul the money that he needed for ministry. That's not easy to do. It's a lot easier, isn't it, to write a check and bring it here to church and drop it in the box outside this room on a regular basis. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to travel 95 miles on foot to make a donation in cash. But we've made it even easier than that. We've set up systems that will allow you to designate any money that you want, either on a one-time basis or on a repeated basis to be automatically deducted from your checking account at any interval you choose. Through our church, then, as money comes into us, we make distributions to the staff here in our church, to the ministry needs that we have. We had to buy batteries this week for this pack. That costs money, right? And so it was out of the, the funds that you give to our church that we pay these kinds of expenses. But also we make financial distributions, not just to the expenses of our ministry, and to the staff of our ministry. We give it to missionaries that we have qualified and that we have uh, confidence that they are doing the Lord's work. And so as you give to our church then, we as part of our budget give to missionaries who are serving the gospel overseas or who are planting churches through our Five Stone Network here domestically, or even two of our elders who are missionaries supported by our church. As you give to God's work repeatedly through the church, we have the means to give through the church to the spread of the gospel message. We've made it as easy as possible for you to give repeatedly. And repeated giving is necessary for God's work to go forward. So let me encourage you to follow the example of the Philippians and be someone who gives repeatedly. Invest your money in God's work in a repeated way.
Now, next time we'll see that there's joy for everyone involved. There's joy for the giver, for the receiver, and for God. When God's people dedicate themselves to his work and give financially and do it on a repeated basis, there is joy for everyone involved when we give to God's work. And this is a better brand of happiness.